Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Daria Kosilova has an allure about her that you can't quite put your finger on, but it makes you want to hear more of what she has to say. The model, artist, creative director, and founder of popular e-com vintage shop Cherish has lived many, many lives in her life. Born in Eastern Russia, her family left the country at a dark time when she was just five years old, immigrating to Seattle and starting their life in North America. During high school, she was the brainiac goth, spending a lot of her time in the art room, playing the guitar, and modeling. After high school, an offer came in to model in Milan for Fashion Week. From there, the journey of her life began to really unfold in organic and unexpected ways. In this conversation, we talk about her early years growing up in a small studio with her family in Russia, her sweet connection with her resourceful grandmother Valentina, how modeling allowed her to live in various cities around the world for six years, and how it taught her to quickly adapt, what it was like running cult print magazine, The Lab, her thoughts on being an artist, what she's learned about herself now that she's an entrepreneur, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with the eloquent, hyper-intelligent, and magnetic Daria Kosilova. Daria Kosilova, welcome to The Craft. Thank you. Oh my God, what an honor. I know. Well, I'm so happy you're in here and that we get to have this conversation. And I feel like I'm going to learn even more about you just having this. Yeah, ready to share, ready to open up. (laughs) Are you? I am. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, I love to connect the dots on how I have met my guest or or my friend. And we used to both work at Rennie. Mm -hmm. You were on the art team. I was on the marketing and branding team. And for years, we'd sort of see each other in the building, sort of in and around the office. And we'd have these small conversations. Yeah. But it it wasn't until the corporate trip to Seattle where Mm -hmm. we were taking a train down there Mm -hmm. where we ended up having a way deeper conversation. And I was like, this girl is cool as shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That train ride took way longer than it should have. (laughs) It has never taken me like six hours to get to Seattle from Vancouver. (laughs) Didn't we stop to for a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, there's lots of stops along the way. Oh, yeah. 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 That's right. It's a train. But actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but... You are like one of my first memories of Rennie when I think about my time working there. Um, just because like, you know, it's a, it's like a corporate place, you know, lots of suits, lots of pencil skirts. Yeah. And then there you were, you were like this wildflower, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in like your beautiful floral kimonos and your super cool shoes. And you had this like beautiful bold jewelry. And I was like, this girl, her, <laughs> you know? And oh so gosh. it's like, it's not sur- a surprise to me that we've stayed connected even, yeah. you know, after we've done our own ventures. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that we, yeah, developed a friendship out yeah. of it. Yeah. So let's take it back. Mm. Let's take it back to your childhood. You were born in Russia. Yes. So I was born in Vladivostok, which is super far east. It's like on the Sea of Japan. 
um, and it borders like China. So um, I was born there and when I was like five or so, um, we actually left and immigrated to the United States. So I actually grew up in Seattle. So it's mm. really funny that, <laughs> you know, yeah. we were on this train ride to Seattle yeah. when we connected and we were actually heading back to one of my hometowns. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember anything about living in Russia, any sort of memories or is it just sort of, you were so young? You know, I, I was really young and my memories are pretty, pretty sparse. Um, you know, I, Russia was like a, especially in the nineties, it was, it was a pretty difficult time. It was a pretty dark time, um, over there back then, tons of corruption, tons of violence and poverty. And so I just kind of always remember living in a very sheltered sort of capacity. You know, my mom and my grandmother, basically we lived in like a studio apartment all together, you know, and if it wasn't my mom picking me up from daycare, it was my grandmother and, and, and you know, it was kind of like a very tight knit life. So I wasn't really, you know, old enough to be exposed to the reality of things until, you know, I was older and my parents then kind of informed me about what was going on in, in their lives and why we left and why it was so difficult to be mm. there. Um, but, you know, I go back from time to time, not as often as I'd like to, but I still have family back there. And on one hand, like, I'm like super proud to be Russian, super proud of my city, super proud um, of the culture, but I'm also like so thankful that I didn't grow up there. Right. You know? Right. That so parents, happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. That, that your parents left and, mm -hmm. and for a, a better life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't really even, I can't even imagine like who I would be, what mm. I would be doing mm -hmm. um, if I was still there. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I'd be fine, but yeah. you know, yeah, not what I'm, not lucky enough to be doing the crazy things that I'm doing <laughs> here, you know? Yeah. Is your grandmother still alive? Yes, she is. Yeah. yeah. What is she like? What are your memories of her? Oh, I love her. Her name's Valentina. She's like the cutest, um, just the sweetest woman, but she's also tough as nails. So she's like fully Soviet, one of like 10 children growing up um, like countryside. And then she was kind of the one in her family that like broke out and moved to the city and, you know, went to university. And um, so, you know, she always had a ton of courage um but she's also a bit of a hardened person and um you know she doesn't talk about her emotions a lot she doesn't talk about um her feelings a lot she doesn't want to be a bother to anybody and so it's kind of taken some time as an adult to kind of break through to her because you know we've only had so many years physically together you know most of my relationship with her has been over the phone um but the last time i went back she was like telling me everything she's like Daria this might be the last time we ever physically see each other and I was like no no like you're crazy like we're gonna see each other you know we've got such a long life ahead but she was like this might be the last time I see you so I'm gonna tell you everything <laughs> and wow. she kind of just you know just went on this like life story of you know her life how she met my grandfather how crazy my mom was when, you know <laughs> when when she was growing up and so on so I, we're really close and I miss mm. her like crazy every single day. Is there anything that she told you that has really stuck out for you? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some really intimate details about, you know, her marriage and um, 
how difficult her life was and how mistreated she was and how hard she had to work to support um, my mom and I. And, you know, I like when I think about my family, I don't necessarily think about my family as being an entrepreneurial family. But my grandmother hustled and was doing all these like side gigs. She's she was a seamstress. She was like a crazy sewer and she would get like commissions from people in her neighborhood, people that she knew. And she would create these like one of a kind, really beautiful garments for these people. And I knew she sewed, but I didn't know that she had like she could have been. My mom says she could have been like the Coco Chanel of, (laughs) you know, her time in Russia if it wasn't for like the political, you know, circumstances of being a Russian person. But um, yeah, I just like I found out that she was this like incredibly talented seamstress and like kind of like a designer almost you know in her own capacity and so I was like okay right Mm. on so we do have some hustlers yes you know yeah yeah so that was one thing what are your parents like oh that's a I mean they're different from one another super different I have crazy young parents like scary young Mm. Um, my dad was 18 when I was born my mom was 20 so um, so now we're basically the same age. <laughs> you know, I always tell my dad, I'm like, who, we're probably going to be at the old folks home at the same time. Like, we'll see who's taking care of who in the end. Um, my dad is very analytical. Um, he's like a tech guy, you know. Um, so he's, you know, he's kind of, he's got a plan. He goes with the plan. He's got a strategy. He thinks in terms of logic. My mom is a psycho. <laughs> you know, she like she's all over the map. She's incredibly ambitious, incredibly beautiful, incredibly attention seeking. Oh, my God. I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but um, but in like a really endearing kind of way, you know, she's a star. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like, I guess, yeah, they're totally opposite. And I think I have like a pretty good balance, balance. of of the both of them, yeah, sort of the best of each person, yeah. I would say. I was going to ask what you were like as a child and a teen. Oh, my God. Um, I was, like, super obedient because you got to be super obedient in a Russian family. You know, it's, it's scary. <laughs> um, but um, in high school, I was, like, a straight-A kid, president of student council, um, super accomplished, but I was a total goth. So mm. I was like straight A's with a spike collar and a Marilyn Manson T-shirt, you know. Yeah. Um, so I guess it was kind of, I think people were like really confused by me in high school because all the teachers loved me. I was such a teacher's pet. I got I mean, in a Russian family, you don't come home with anything less than an A, basically. And so, you know, I was very academically accomplished, but then I was kind of like this total outcast. Um and so, yeah, like I, I spent all my time in like the art room as well, like doing my own projects, you know, focusing on, you know, creative things that I wanted to do. And I played music. I played the guitar. No I was way. in a band, <laughs> you know, so. Well, we did talk about our love for the craft, the, yes. the movie. Oh, my biggest is, obsession. Yeah. Yeah. I very desperately gone. wanted to be like one of those girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I actually used to like my friend and I used to have um like a book, uh, like on Granville Island, there's like a witchcraft yeah, store yeah, or yeah. The, there used to yeah, be one. Yeah, it's called the Book of Shadows. Is that what? Something yeah. like, yeah. So we had this like book of spells and we would try to do, you know, like when you stick your fingers under the girl, you're like light as a feather, <laughs> stiff as a 
board, light as a feather, stiff as a board. So we were totally into that kind of stuff. Did it ever work no. for you? Yeah. <laughs> no. I tried it. Me and, me and some girlfriends tried it on one of our guy friends. And yeah, it wasn't working. And, and finally he was like, I don't want to be the feather anymore. And I was like, <laughs> done. Well, you know, she falls. She falls pretty hard yeah. in the end. Yeah. So yeah, if it worked. You know, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. And so what happened after high school? Where were you, where were you at after that? Well, um, so I guess I'll kind of take it back like a couple of years before high school. Um, so I started modeling when I was like 16, 17, um, 16. And so right when I graduated high school, I was actually set to go to Emily Carr. I had early admission into Emily Carr. You know, it was my folks were super proud um but then I got an offer to go to Milan um I had this agency that was you know ready to represent me they were like ready to buy me all my flights you know they're like it's fashion week Daria's like crazy tall and skinny you're just gonna do so great and um and so I, I like begged my dad basically if I like if he would allow me to go and I think I went to Emily Carr for like a week while he was trying to decide. And then he was like, okay, fine. This is like your once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. Um, and so I dropped out of Emily Carr and got on a flight to Milan and I went abroad and I never, I didn't come back for like six years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, You lived all over yeah. Los Angeles, Milan, Athens, you spent a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. I'd love to dig into that. Yeah. Tel Aviv, New York. How yeah. did how did your experiences abroad change your perspective on how to live life and culture? Um, well, I mean, I always had to just survive and adapt, um, especially because I was in circumstances where um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money at the time, like next to no money. Um, you know, I really just had to find a clan everywhere I went and kind of explore and just let things happen to me. Mm. You know, like I, I, there was, you know, when you're young and especially as a girl, it can be kind of like intimidating to be traveling to all of these places by yourself completely unsupervised you know like not even with your best friends you know I mean like I was going alone a lot of the time making friends along the way but when I had to pick up and go I had to pick up and go and it was just me um you know I just learned to adapt and I I learned to be by myself and I learned to just go with the flow and I think that came pretty easily to me though because I don't know, I guess maybe I'm an immigrant. <laughs> I've always had to kind of like pack up and move, pack up and move, pack up and go. And so, you know, traveling and being abroad was a really sort of natural, natural experience for me. Mm. I don't know, is it, does that kind of answer your yeah, question? No, it yes. was just like, it was one of those things that was super effortless for me. And I never felt homesick. I never felt stressed about not seeing my family you know mm -hmm. I just I was having a really great time quite mm -hmm. frankly <laughs> yeah and then wh what took you to Athens because you spent some time yeah. there so it was it was modeling again mm -hmm. um 
I was in Italy at the time and, um, you know, all agencies, they're all connected with one another and they have like casting calls and go sees and, and whatnot. And so I met with this woman who had an agency in Athens and she's like, let's go. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. And so I went for the first time. I went for a month. And then I actually came back. It was Christmas time. And I came back home to Vancouver. And I loved it so much. I had, like, the best time of my life. And um, I just, like, found a way to get back. I was like, please, mm. can I come back? Can I come back? Can I? I'll do whatever it takes, you know? Um, and so I went back and I stayed for like six months, maybe a little bit more. Okay, I yeah. lose, I'm losing like track of all the timelines. Yeah, these yeah. days, but so it's got a special place in your heart. It is. It's you know everybody I think in their life, especially when you're young, you have um, like that place. You know that mm -hmm. to you seems like the best place in the world, but maybe it's just because you partied or like you know had like the time of your life there. And for me. It, it was Athens. Athens was the most magical place where I felt the most free, where I experimented the most, where I had, you know, some of my first like really crazy experiences as an adult. And, um, and so I was actually scared to go back. And I went back two years ago mm. for the first time since that time. And it was still just as magical <laughs> and as wonderful as it, you know, as it was, as I remember it. Yeah. I would totally, I would totally live with live in Greece if yeah. I could. I, I, I know what you mean by sometimes you go to a place and you just like you really connect with it or for some reason I felt that way in, about Bali and I remember yeah. when I got on a plane and it was you know in the air we were you know taking off I was tearing up and I really felt like I left a piece of my heart there yeah and uh, I'd be interested to go back and see how I feel if it'll just feel like ah you I think you would I've been to Bali too and mm -hmm. it was also like top three experiences top three, yeah. of my life it, it definitely it's like on par with with Greece yeah um, I was there for three weeks a few yes. years ago and I was like man this is hard to leave mm -hmm. and I totally see why people just stay like drop their lives wherever they are and just stay yeah. yes yeah and where did New York come into the picture and living there well so actually the way I came to live in New York is sort of like I guess like a sad breakup story <laughs> um so before New York I was living in Los Angeles and I was um about a year deep in running my magazine the lab magazine and um so I was actually one of my editors in chief of the magazine was also my partner at the time. And we had this like pretty monstrous explosive breakup. And I kind of ended up being in this position of like, do I go back to Vancouver and swallow my pride? I just had to get away from this person, you know, like couldn't couldn't be there with them, you know, anymore in the same city. I, I also like kind of ended up in a situation where I had very little money um, and no other real friends in Los Angeles. Like I kind of followed the people that I was working with and that, you know, were close to me in my life. I followed them out to LA. Um, and then when everything kind of blew up and crashed, I, you know, I didn't really have anybody to go to in Los Angeles. So I had to leave. So I had to either go back to Vancouver 
or I had another outstanding offer in New York from an agency. And I ended up emailing this, this guy who owned the agency, and I was like, I accept your offer, and I need to leave right away. Can you mm. upfront me a ticket? And I honestly, when I came to New York, I really didn't have any intention of like staying there long term or moving there by any means. You know, I kind of saw it as like another contract, maybe a few months here and there until I move on to the next place. And then I got there and one thing led to another. One year passed and another began and I ended up staying there for almost three years. And of course, you know, I I, uh, found a person there that mm-hmm. you know was in my life and and so you know things got real and like things got like really intertwined and complicated and so it just naturally became my home but and it was mm-hmm. also just a wonderful place to be for the magazine as well like mm-hmm. I still despite like separating you know emotionally from this person that I, I was running this you know company with basically um we still continued to work on the magazine together for about five years after that so mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear about your experience running a publication. What, yeah. was, what was that like? I'd love to hear about this career chapter, life chapter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was one of those things that I, I kind of plopped into, um, had no experience, had no prior intention of working in publishing at all. Um, you know, I met the, this group of people and they had this like really ambitious um, sort of idea. They were filmmakers and what they wanted to do was kind of like skip the, the Hollywood ladder of sorts of like network networking and basically create a publication where they would feature the talent that they wanted to work with and then get to know the talent that way. And then, hey, here's a script, by the way. So that was just kind of their motive for creating the lab. And then, um, you know, it also had this like amazing sort of component of art and um, just culture to it. You know, it wasn't just actors or filmmakers or whatever. It was musicians and artists and entrepreneurs and just like really interesting thinkers. Um, and so at the time when I kind of came on to the lab, it was in its sort of beginning stages. And there was another person, local artist Graham Berglund, who was mm. actually the art director. Um, and then for whatever reason, Graham stepped aside. And I was kind of like, as a joke, I was like, oh, I could do a good job. You know, I could do better. I could, you know, whatever. And they were like, yeah, well, so do it. <laughs> and so I hopped on and that became my life for the next five years mm-hmm. um i mean running a magazine is it's it's incredibly rewarding when you see the physical manifestation of it i mean the lab was always a really beautiful publication it was like it was a coffee table book you know people that bought the lab they weren't throwing it it away you know they were displaying it Mm -hmm. on their coffee table along with their really nice you know beautiful photo books and the content was so good like we did such an amazing job of really finding like the best of the best the coolest people that were doing the most amazing things um but unfortunately when you're printing a magazine of that magnitude you're also spending a lot of money you know creating it shipping it like we had distribution in over 30 countries wow yeah and um it it was just such an ordeal financially to create the thing yeah um that we really like 
as individuals, we really weren't making that much money. And we all hustled. And like, you know, like the, the guys that I was working with, they were shooting like commercials and like doing portraits of celebrity, like pho- photography portraits. I was modeling, you know, everybody had something else that they were doing on the side just to pay their bills, even though we had this like crazy, beautiful, super impressive, like looking publication. Mm-hmm. Eventually what happened with that was we um, kind of became a content agency for other brands. So other brands sort of caught on to the lab and, you know, saw how beautiful it was, um, saw the people that it attracted. And so we started collaborating with other brands to basically create similar content for them. So this is like before Instagram too, or like when Instagram was still like used for fun, you know? Yeah. Or before any other publications started becoming these creative studios, like Hype East also has like Hype Maker now and they work with brands to create campaigns. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, like we certainly didn't pioneer the concept by any means, but, um, there weren't that many people that were doing that sort of that sort of thing and so you know that that kind of opened up that last leg for us where we still were kind of a unit um so we were doing you know we were working for brands like samsung um or like uh top a uh, top man or top shop mm-hmm. or whatever um uh, then there were like generator hostels which was like this boutique hostel chain in um europe and they flew us out to create these like crazy interactive multimedia like artist events in their space to bring the community in to kind of like kibosh that you know hostels are these like disgusting yeah. places you With know bed bugs. <laughs> With bed bugs. yeah so we were like you know doing some really really cool things but you know as time went on we all kind of like just sort of drifted you know, and sort of decided that we had our own individual, you know, interests that like it was just time to move on, like Mm -hmm. with anything else. Um, And so I left first. And then I think within like five or six months, the lab kind of just ceased to cease to exist. Mm. And then and then did you come back to Vancouver or were you already? Yeah. Okay. So what happened was I um, my visa ran out. And I had to come back to Vancouver. So my visa ran out. I was in L.A., I think. And I get this call from my agency because uh, they were the ones that were spon- my modeling agency was sponsoring um, my work visa. And they're like, your visa just expired like two hours ago. Um, you got to get out of the country. Like the lawyer from the agency was calling me. And I was like, really? Like, don't I have can't I just like reapply and hang out and not work? And she's like, no, you got to leave. And so within like a couple hours, I had to pack my bags and like get the hell out of town. And I came back to Vancouver um, and I began the process of renewing my visa. And it took about like, I don't know, like six weeks or Mm. so. Um, And then I got it. But by that point, something about Vancouver for me had changed, you know, and I was with my family for the first time in a really long time. And I was with friends that I hadn't seen in a really long time and I got comfortable and I was Mm. like this place is actually pretty cool you know like I kind of I used to always hate Vancouver and think that it lacked everything you know I I feel like a lot of people think that oh I gotta get out of Vancouver it doesn't have enough of this you know I'm going to New York or LA or Berlin or you know wherever Toronto even um and I felt that way too for a really long time when I was younger and then and then 
yeah, I came back and I was like, you know what? This place has potential, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe maybe my maturity, you know, changed a little bit or something happened or maybe I was just like, you wanting know. Wanting to root down somewhere. Wanting to root down. Um, but yeah, and I stayed and I got my visa and I never even went to the border to stamp it. Wow. Yeah, I just left it. And, and you decided to stay. And this I decided was, to stay. It was home. Yeah. Mm. And um, did did you then go to Emily Carr again? Well, so I kind of like skipped out on like one tiny part. So there was about six months um, in my early 20s when I did come back to Vancouver. And I had a lot of pressure from my family to go back to school. Like you're not you're not a, a complete human without a degree. Um, <laughs> I've heard that before. A, <laughs> I mean, in a lot of like, you know foreign countries I guess like education you know like as an immigrant like your parents are like you have to do this I came here for you to do this um and so I was getting like harassed basically by my family to go back to school and so I did I like came back um it was actually around like the Olympics when the Olympics were in Vancouver yeah and so I I called in my car I was like I'm coming back they're like no problem come back and I started up again for a few months there and that's actually when I met the lab guys so I was in Vancouver Mm. when I met them um in school and but then I fell in love and decided to run away and work on a magazine and so I dropped out again (laughs) and then flash forward to what we were just talking about when I finally did come back and settle in Vancouver um I was like okay I'm gonna get this done I'm gonna get this degree done I called them again. They were like, all right, you're in good standing. We'll let you in, but this is the last time Mm. that we're going to let you in. And also, I think in, like, Canada, you can only apply for student loans three times before they're like, no, you're done. Ah. Now you got to pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so... Yeah. And so I I had, like, no choice. Right. You know? Um, And so I strapped in buckled down got an apartment and was like okay here we go we're doing this we're gonna be an artist <laughs> <laughs> and you do create art it's you, you. you mainly create it you said for yourself and your own enjoyment yes now nowadays yes I mean I did have uh, I mean ever since I was a kid I was always drawing and creating and I think for most of my life I wanted to be some sort of form of an artist um and you know I I thought it would be like you know I'd be a drawer or a painter or you know whatever like I would make pictures um and I I really thought actually really up until very recently that that's what I would be doing um but then when I started working at a real fine art institution which is where we met Mm -hmm. May um Mm -hmm. at Rennie you know I worked there for about four years and kind of seeing what that world is really like. It's not just about going to your studio and making a picture and someone buys it and Mm -hmm. that's it. You know, there's a lot of other aspects like any other industry to it that um, kind of made me realize that maybe that's not where I want to go with it. Mm. You know, I don't know if I want to be in that world and operate under that lens. Right. Yeah. So it is definitely a it's definitely a business. It yeah. is. It is. It's not as 
romantic and you know creative as you think I mean yes there of course it you know as a visual maker yes you are going to have those days in your studio and whatnot but I mean I in in order to be like a we're talking about like real blue chip art world success um you know there there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through that a lot of people don't really know about and art school certainly doesn't prepare you for that you know everybody leaves art school thinking like okay well what do I do now Mm. (laughs) you know um you really don't get any sort of sense or grasp of how to then actually become an artist like a you know exhibiting functioning artist making money too you know you want to make money you got to survive you can't Mm -hmm. just make paintings and then you know hope that somehow you're going to find a meal that day you know like you have to sell your work and you have to be in that world and there are certain things about it that I learned that you know at least for the time being like I still need that break from it Mm. the wonderful thing I think about art making is like it's never too late Mm. you know it's one of those things where yeah you can pick up a paintbrush at 50 and that's your moment you know and then or you know some some artists get discovered way after you know, mm-hmm. so it's like it's never too late. But you can always become an artist if you, mm-hmm. you right. Know, if that's your time and if that's what you want to do. Yeah, someone had recommended um, for me just because I mean, one of the reasons why I ended up, you know, being at Rennie was because of the proximity to mm-hmm. the art and the ability to to learn from um, from the team yeah. about it. And someone had recommended that I read um, Seven Days in the Art World. Mm. And uh, and I read it, and uh, I was like, wow, there were just so many facets of art and that world that I, you know, I just I didn't understand. Yeah. But it was really interesting to learn about all of those diff- different moving components and how certain things work. Yeah, and I'm sure not. That's there's probably lots of books that that talk about it, but that's just the one that I happened to to read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was fascinating. It was mind blowing, actually. It yeah. is mind blowing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, when you're you know when you're dealing, I mean, the art industry is it's an industry, like you said, and it's an industry that is fueled and and really dominated by people with tons of money and tons of privilege, um, and. You know, that stigma of things being pretentious, of things being melodramatic, of things being ridiculous. I, I, I have found that to be true in, in a lot of cases. Um, and I doubt, you know, when you work for a private collector too, who's like one of the biggest art collectors in the world, you know, you, you do see that really kind of personal backside of how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I don't know. I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this really, like as an mm. artist. Yeah. You know, um, maybe I have too much of some kind. Maybe I'm too self-conscious, too much pride. I don't know what it is. You yeah. know, like, but I just, or maybe I knew I wouldn't be comfortable ever. Really, you know, maybe intimidated or threatened by it. But yeah, I just, I just kind of walked away from it, and I and I needed to take a break from it. And I've actually, I, I realized that. It's been about a year and a half now that I, I left my role there, and um, I don't even really want to go to shows still. You know, I don't really even want to talk about art with my friends who are artists. You know, um, I just so badly needed that break and that distance 
mm. um, sort of to almost realize what it is in art that I liked initially. Because, you know, when you work for a private collector, um, obviously their tastes and their way of looking at art and what it means, and it, you know, it becomes how you think. It inhibits sort of your perspective and your taste. And I really just had to step back and be like, okay, do I like this or do I like this because my boss likes this? Mm. You know, and I kind of lost a bit of myself and my and what I love about it and what my interests were in it. And I lost that um, because I felt like I was being dictated by somebody else's vision. Mm. And so I just, you know, I'm still recovering in a weird way from mm. it. Yeah. And that's sort of why I, I took a pause from even making my own work, because I kind of found myself making the kind of work that I thought, you know, the collection would be interested in. Right. Mm. If that makes sense. No. You no. know, I, I could I could see that. Yeah, for sure. It yeah. started yeah. dictating the way that I was pursuing my own practice. And so I had to I was like, no, this is where I draw the line, I mm. think. And you you did something else. So. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about this before, but we decided to take, you know, leaps of faith kind of mm -hmm. around the same time and launch our own businesses. And you've launched uh, an an e-commerce store and mm -hmm. vintage shop called Cherish. Yeah. <laughs> what what made you decide to do this? Um, oh my God, it was like just a hurricane of sort of things that collided together. Um, I never in my life thought that I would ever be like an e-com clothing store owner. Like, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't occur to me and and the fact that it's vintage is also mind-blowing for me because I never used to be the person I would be like the person that would be like oh my god it's too much time I can't even go to winners <laughs> you know like you know those people that are like I can't even deal with winners you know <laughs> um, I, I used to be that person I'm mm -hmm. I don't have that kind of backstory of like oh I grew up thrifting and every weekend I was at the flea market with my mom no that's not me um <laughs> You know, I think what drew me to secondhand were, so it was a couple of things. So as a model, my bread and butter has always been e-commerce. So I've shot e-commerce for some of like the biggest brands that we know in e-com today. And like even now when I model in Vancouver, 90% of it is probably e-commerce, I'd say. Um, so I had a really good understanding of production, how e-com works, just how the whole thing comes alive, right? Um, but also there were things about it that I remember really frustrated me and that was like how much manipulation goes into making a product look great in a photo. And I remember as a model kind of working for like, you know, like pretty fast fashion brands out there. I'm not going to name, <laughs> name any names, but you know, I started thinking, wow, so much work is going into manipulating this item to make it look great and it's selling at $25 and it's crap. It's just garbage. And I can see it because I'm wearing it and the way it's being made to look in the photo is so deceptive to the person that's going to buy it, you know? And so I was always kind of like questioning that, you know, I was like, this is kind of fucked. Like, mm. this is so bad. And I felt kind of like responsible in a weird way for some of it, you know, because I knew I like I see it, I know it and I'm still participating in it. Right. 
Um, so that was kind of always at the, you know, sort of at the back of my head when I was modeling. And when I ended up working at Rennie, you know, in this sort of like nine to five corporate setting, um, you know, I thought I had done everything in my life prior to that to not end up sitting in a chair staring at a computer for like eight hours a day. I was like, how did this happen to me? <laughs> you know, it was, I was mind blown. So I was, I was sitting there kind of like criticizing myself, like, Dari, you've done all of these things in your life, including modeling, which has been like a super consistent, you know, career choice for you. I've been modeling for 14 years now. Um, how is it that you haven't evolved that naturally into something else? And I would like sit there at my computer, like brooding and being like mad at myself and just, you know, it's like, how did I end up in this situation? I'm so unhappy. Um, what can I do? And then on top of that, I started like selling clothes online, just my own clothing online. Um, needed to get rid of some stuff. You know, and I was like, but this is all this is all good. Like, I should probably make some money off of it. And I, I discovered Depop, the like Gen Z, you know, like reseller app. And at first, nothing really happened with it. Like, I, you know, did some flat lays, shot some stuff on the floor, super wrinkled, looks like crap. You know, nobody <laughs> bought it. Big surprise. Um, and then I was like, OK, no, let me try this again. And I put the clothes on. And I gave it that e-com model thing, you know, that I know how to do. And it just started firing off. Mm. Like everything, everything I sold or everything I put up sold. And I kind of like started thinking, okay, like, right, Daria, all these brands pay you all this money to represent this product. Why don't you do it for yourself? You right. know, like, how is it that you, it hasn't occurred to you to kind of like, take that back like you mm. know how to do this it's a skill you know but you also know how to create a production out of it right you know what goes into it and so I just started really putting in the effort into this reseller thing you know and I, I gave myself a challenge one day I was like okay I'm gonna take 50 bucks I'm gonna take it to a local thrift store I'm gonna see if I can turn 50 dollars into like 300 dollars and I did you know, and then things kind of started clicking for me. I'm like, okay, and this is really great because this is really also addressing sort of this notion that I had of, of how bad e-com and like fast fashion and the turnaround of it, how, how I felt like this desire to somehow reposition myself within that industry. And I was like, you know what, this might be, this might be where you're answer lies like my personal answer lies to that dilemma right mm -hmm. and so my last few like months at Rennie you know I would have like my computer screen up I would have like my excel document or whatever like going and then I would have like a a browser with like YouTube on and it would be like some 14 year old depopper like explaining how they do <laughs> things online you know so I was I just started We're learning yeah yeah researching mm -hmm. um and just sort of figuring out how I was gonna make a business out of this. And then in November, 2018? Yeah, yeah, that would have been Or 19, 2019. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, 2019, yeah. yeah. Um, I was like, peace, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, and I left right before uh, Christmas. And it's really starting to take off. We were talking about you having yeah 
loyal clientele that are coming back. Yeah. And yeah, I, business I'm, is growing. I'm shocked. Like mm. I never thought that anybody would care <laughs> or that anybody would find it. Yeah. And it really took off. Um, I have some of the most amazing clients like from around the world who are who, who are paying hundreds of dollars in shipping, you know, to have access to what I'm sourcing. Um, and people are making that choice to buy secondhand and to buy used. And they're really investing in this idea of slowing down, finding the right pieces for their wardrobe. And actually, I think what's really great is, you know, I'm able to talk to them individually and be able to kind of give them that extra personal customer service, um, be able to talk to them about their personal style, about their body, about their fit, you know, and people are making really informed choices. Mm. And I love that. I think it's so wonderful. There's so much clothing out there that has yet to be discovered and repurposed and people want it. And so much of that, those items are well-made as well. well of You're course. Like, wow. Of you know? course. So many of my vintage pieces, they've lasted so many years, you yeah. know, from when they were first made to me having them now to the next person that's going to have it when, you know, I decide to sell exactly. it. Exactly. When, when something is done well, it really stands the test of time. Mm -hmm. um, but I also I was also reading this like statistic that said something like nowadays our generation, like um, you wear something twice and people think of it as old. Really? Yeah. Like apparently one to huh. two times wearing it and people are mentally over it. I guess because there's you know? so much access now to new things all the time. Constantly. So it's like, oh, well, then I can just get yeah. that for, you know, yeah. $50. And and totally. And I, and I remember that feeling, especially when you're younger and, you know, you don't have a ton of money, but you have, you know, social media and all of these things that are kind of really fast and changing and you have this feeling like oh I, I I need to get this one item and it's going to complete my wardrobe and I'm going to feel good and I'm going to be done and then you get that thing and you wear it once or twice maybe you throw it in the wash and then after about a week that feeling creeps back up I need something else to make mm. me complete I need something else to make me complete you know and it's just this mentality of of just not only buying cheap, but buying fast. The fact that it like arrives on your doorstep the next day, you know, um, that's, I, I think all of that is having a hideous impact on our behavior, mm -hmm. you know, our behavior, our needs, our desires, our self-perception. Um, and so that like, that's something that I love talking about with my customers too, is just like, you know where they stand what what do you really need what do you really desire how can i help you sort mm -hmm. of take that mental break and help you find something that you genuinely love right you know that you know mm -hmm. you're gonna love for a really long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's been a really really special part of the job right so to speak yeah the so-called investment pieces that will be with Investment you for, pieces, yeah. for a long time. And they don't have to, you know, like, it's not what my price points aren't even investment price points, you know, but I think that when somebody buys something secondhand, their instinct is to treat it better, mm. you know? Um, 
I think there is something that comes with buying something used. You feel like you're saving something. You feel like you're giving something a second chance. And, and right. that's a good feeling for you as an individual. You know that you're opening yourself up to something that maybe someone else gave up on. I mean, I'm, I'm going a little like, you know, no, no romantic on it. But like it, 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 it there is some sort of self-satisfying thing that happens when you buy a piece of secondhand or something, you know, when you buy something at the flea market, there's like some sort of mysticism or like an heirloom or some kind of narrative that you create in your head about this item. There's value to it. There's history to it. There's history. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that, you know, it may not cost, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And I've actually, you know, I try and keep my price points very accessible because I want the person who is going to go to Zara, I want them to choose me Mm. over Zara Mm -hmm. or over H&M or over whatever, you know, and buy something from me and not from one of the monsters, you know? Right. Yeah. I love what you just said because you just actually reminded me of a ritual that I have whenever I buy something secondhand. I bring it home and I have this... Um, hook like near my closet Mm -hmm. and I hang it on there and I take my Palo Santo and I light it and I yeah then I I basically smudge it you know just to cleanse the energy one thing but also to I always say thank you to the person who's owned this before you know just because it it belonged to someone you know yeah so yeah so I love what you just said because I I almost forgot there like I do that with all of my vintage mm-hmm. or secondhand things that I buy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and that's exactly, like, I think that's exactly what drives people to actually take care of, the, of their stuff more so than the new stuff that mm-hmm. they buy, you know, because you're, you're buying history. Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, what have you discovered about yourself during the entrepreneurial process that has surprised you? Um how hard I I can work yeah I never you know I mean I think I've always been a hard worker but I've I've definitely surprised myself at my ability to pick myself up after a bad day and to persevere Mm. I I don't think I gave myself enough credit for that before maybe because I had this like sort of habit of like dropping out of art school and maybe kind of living a bit of like uh, la di da life you know <laughs> at the uh, you know my early 20s and so I kind of thought that maybe that was something that like defined my personality and that I was never going to be able to you know really focus and really crush what I'm doing you know because I kind of I was always changing and and, and I've really surprised myself by how committed and invested and how much I believe in this thing. Um, like, wow, you know, it, it has changed. It's, it's made me like myself more, mm. you know. It's made me trust myself more. Um, it's made me value my own time more, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just have a few more questions for you. Looking back at all of these chapters that you've lived in in such a young life, mm-hmm. what is one truth that you've come to discover about life? Oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> uh, 
my goodness. What's one truth I've discovered about life? Yeah. I mean, it can be a few, but whatever comes to mind. I mean, I guess I've, I have always just, I've just always done what I've wanted to do. And I felt bad about it most times up until recently. You know, if you have that feeling, if you have that drive, or just that tickle in your body that tells you to do something, you should probably do it. Mm. I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. within within sensible legal reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never. That's the one thing I've never really had any regrets, even when I've failed and when I've had to crawl home and be like, "Help me," <laughs> you know. Um, and that's actually something that my dad has always talked to me, uh, something or told me that he admires about me because my dad has always been like a by the book kind of guy. Um, and he he's like, when I look at you, you're living the life that I always wanted to, but didn't have the balls to live, mm. you know? And I, I didn't really think about that a lot. I'd be like, oh, thanks, that's nice. But I didn't really think about that until starting Cherish and really kind of, you know, hustling and really having good days and bad days and realizing like, this is what you chose to do. This was your gut instinct, so you better pull through. Um, And so if anything I've learned is like, I mean, maybe this is like kind of cheesy, but you really have to follow your intuition. And if something tells you to do something, do it. Even if it means dropping out of school, Mm -hmm. university, not high school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about it before. I I understand that feeling too. Yeah. Why not? You know, there's a certain point where you know you're smart enough, you're skilled enough. So say this doesn't go through, probably get a job. You know, it'll always be okay. Yeah, I think, you know, I think more people should follow that little bit of rock and roll that they've got inside of them. Mm. I actually, I used to say that all the time to your boss, Peter, at <laughs> Rennie. I would be like, oh, we, we've got to make this place more rock and roll. <laughs> and he would laugh at me. He's like, Daria, that's like the wrong word for this entire thing. But, you know, I think everybody has a little bit of like that kind of badass sort of like, you know, desire to just do something crazy for, the, <laughs> for them, you know? And I, yeah. and I, and I think you got to just do it. Mm. You got to do it and hey, whatever. If you mess up, you can, why not? You can just get a job anywhere. I yeah. Mean, well, you know, but you can't. But you can. You can. And you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So if you need it, if you, you're thinking about it, just do it. I, I love that. I feel like I want to tell my, myself that, you know, or remind myself mm-hmm. that when I'm forgetting to live a little. I mean, it's got consequences. There, there are consequences to being <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> rock and roll, not reckless. But who yeah, knows? Both yeah, of those can yeah. sometimes go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, my final question, mm-hmm. the question I ask every guest, um, with what it is that you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Rock and roll. I like it. Yeah. Short, sweet, simple. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing your story and your thoughts. This Thanks, was really May. fun. This was really fun. Oh, my God. What a, I'm so honored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you came in. Yes. Thank you so much for having here's me. To, uh, here's to more conversations like this yes. and lots of rock and roll. Lots of rock and roll. <laughs>
If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.